Between March and July, most of our lives were defined by the space of our homes. That's true for Louise and I, who spent our lockdowns together, just the two of us, cooped up in our tiny flat in central London. We've moved since then, thank God. But we remember every detail. When you turn onto our old street, a street that pulls off Caledonian Road, the first thing you'll probably notice is the big industrial stone prison to your left. It's HMP Pentonville, which, fun fact, held Oscar Wilde for some time, but becomes a lot less fun when you realize he was imprisoned for being gay. Parallel to the prison, running the entirety of the street, is a long line of two-story brick apartment blocks. Quite literally, they look like blocks, resembling old chunks of grey-brownish brick all lumped together, with a few windows thrown in every now and again. Our old flat is somewhere in there. When you enter our old flat, up on the second floor, you're faced with one long claustrophobic corridor that runs down the entirety of the house. To the left, you have two cramped bedrooms. One is mine, each with broken skylights that don't open, and at the end, there's what attempts to be a living room. It's equally tiny, with her two big TV placed on the floor, two uncomfortable leather sofas, and a tiny drawer by the window where our bonsai, Eartha, lived. The window, one of two in the entire flat, pans out onto an inner courtyard that our block of flats share. It's a big window, like a giant eye almost, displaying the homes of our neighbors across from us, and their carefully tended gardens, with bushes and potted plants splayed and spilling out. If you go back to the entrance and turn right instead, you'll find two neon-painted bathrooms with only one working sink, and a kitchen that I can only describe to you as two building towels and sims worth of space. At the end is the third and last bedroom, my room. The space is identical to the living room, but instead of two old sofas, there's a broken double bed. In this room, the window, an identical giant all-seeing eye, looks out onto the prison. Oh, and there's also our unused full-sized under-the-counter fridge somewhere down the corridor that Louis bought back in first year. He read the dimensions wrong when he ordered it. And that was it. That tiny corridor and those two windows looking out towards the prison on one end and the courtyard on the other became the beating heart of our new world. Right at the start of lockdown, as it was getting warmer, we realised Louis wouldn't survive in a room with a broken skylight. So we did some casual remodelling and moved his bed into the living room and the two sofas out so he could be in a room with a working window. But since, as we've stressed, our flat had no space, in the process of moving I knocked Eartha, our beloved and beautiful bonsai, over onto the ground. And since our flat was low-key cursed and apparently I'm a mess, I somehow did it again five minutes later. We picked her back up, a near dead body in our hands, potting soil like blood pulled around us on the wooden floor. We looked at each other, only a few days into lockdown, sweating, with half a dismantled bed and a mattress on the floor, Eartha, now with a few leaves left on what had formerly been full branches, wilting by the window. Oh god, we thought, how in the hell are we meant to do this? Uh, I've been in Ghana for lockdown. Germany. Outside uh, Madrid center. I was there with my mom and my dad and my younger sister. In the countryside in Suffolk. Back home to York. I was at home with my sister and our cat. Singapore. Back to my home in Dagenham. I was quarantining with some friends I wasn't living with before. In the New Forest, so like near Southampton.
So I think in those first few weeks, it was definitely like a lot of panic, a lot of anxiety. And because it also was such an unfamiliar concept, like before, if you use the word like lockdown or quarantine, like I would have no definition to work with. Brought to you by Beaver Sound. I'm Judah. And I'm Luis. And you're listening to We Know The End. Chapter 2 Last episode, we remembered COVID and the moments of realization that surrounded the gravity of the pandemic. Today, we're remembering her love child. Lockdown. Eight months ago, most countries in the world closed their borders and ordered their citizens to stay home, rendering 2020 the year the earth stood still. We found ourselves scattered around the world and isolated from each other, like insects in amber, trapped in time. When we think back to that time, it's hard to imagine how we survived it. Condemned to the walls of our homes, getting COVID wasn't the only thing we were worried about. And so it's basically the three of us, like, you know, from start to end of lockdown, just trying not to lose our minds. So that's what we did. We tried not to lose our minds. I definitely went through the five stages of grief that was um, Tiger King, making a sourdough starter, aggressively sanitizing everything uh, before putting it in the fridge. Um, the other two, I think, were just alcohol related. Drinking heavily evening with both my parents, like just downing a bottle of wine, I would say, out in our garden. We were drinking in the daytime. We were playing cards. Playing board games. Playing Sims. <laughs> I got really into gardening. Digging a vegetable patch. I started listening to the Harry Potters. We painted the house. <laughs> Cooked together, had dinner. Enjoyed my mum's food, spent time with the family. I was cooking. I was cooking so much. Well, obviously we had to do revision for like our exams. So I was just spending most of my time doing that. Back and forth to the computer, watching TV show or movies after lunch and after dinner. When the weather was nice, we would sunbathe. A lot of like coloring and like doing art. I was doing a bit of drawing as well, you know, just sort of being creative. I started knitting. I have a dog, so there's lots of stuff to do, like taking her for walks and stuff. Speak to my friends and stuff. I started learning Korean. Learning a little bit of German. Started to do some more Russian work. But yeah, I mean, um, like our main source of enjoyment is that we just watched the entirety of Mad Men from start to finish in lockdown, like almost every single evening. And that was like the one way of counting the time. Our lockdown looked very similar and consisted of all the classic quarantine activities. Baking banana bread, reading, a brief encounter with Netflix party, too much time on TikTok, and just when our eyes couldn't take any more screen time, podcasts. Shout out to Brian Reed and Sarah Koenig for inspiring our podcast dreams. When we asked Grace what her lockdown was like, she described Literal Paradise. I was very, very lucky that I was um, able to come home. So I, I spent my lockdown on a very, uh, in a very like uh, indulgent way, really, because my, my house is like very uh, remote. I live in the countryside in Suffolk um, and our house is entirely surrounded by fields. So like we never really come into contact with anyone. So it kind of felt like we were living on an island. That's me and my parents and my cat. Um, and obviously it was a super hot summer. So I, I remember just like me on the other side of my garden on a picnic blanket with like a book and my cat 
and like a big bowl of salad <laughs> and I just like sit like chomping on salad like reading Toni Morrison um and it was like 34 degrees um and then I do my like afternoon stroll and like go and check on my vegetables <laughs> and it was like living my best retired life really um yeah it, it was kind of a a privileged existence for sure uh during lockdown us, a hundred miles away, like to think we live the Caledonian Road version. Okay, describe to me a morning in our lockdowns. Go. Like a typical morning? Yeah. Um, okay, so I would wake up way earlier than you probably and attempt to Definitely. kind of do some kind of like home workout in my room. But because my bed was broken <laughs> and the mattress was like bigger than the bed frame, it cut into like the tiny bit of space I had. So I would like go on YouTube and search like workouts for no space. <laughs> And and probably come and join you in your room. Yeah, where I'd probably be, I feel like I'd probably be laying down in bed, um, just baking in the sun. Yeah, that was coming in through the window. Because it was that self-facing one, so like this yeah. light would just spill in, and like the sun would kind of pour out, and I would go in and like read a book. I think I was reading All the Lights We Cannot See at the beginning of lockdown. And watching you read definitely made me want to try to read and like be mm. productive. And I for a second really tried to convince myself I was a reader. I didn't read a single book. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you probably read... Yeah, I didn't I read that. a picture book. I think, oh yeah, oh yeah, that was I, a really good yeah. book. Um, and then, yeah, and you were just kind of lying on your bed with your eyes closed, taking all the sun. Um, and then I remember, like, in the mornings, we would play um, on the TV, which was, like, just on the floor, a video of the beach on YouTube, just so we could hear, like, the sounds of the ocean. And my conditioner, like, had, like, coconut smell in. So, like, it just kind of, we'd close our eyes and just pretend we were at the beach. I would literally just pretend we were anywhere else except where we were, to be honest. Um, and we, and then after that, actually, a little while, we then created a playlist. Um, with like just kind of really like summery music on called Sunlight Sounds. Yes, and um, then we, that's when we got into like Brazilian music. Yeah, and just overall convincing ourselves we're at the beach. Or like I know, just even just like think and just also like just taking the sun. Um, I think the like I think the mornings were the best part of our days. Yeah. Um, oh, and also like one thing I would do is I like check on Eartha and then like see she only had one leaf. Um, and then cry because you only had one leave. <laughs> That's when the mornings would be over. Yeah. <laughs> right before lockdown was imposed in Madrid, Philippa found herself alone as her roommates had returned back home. With her thesis to complete and preparing to start a new job after graduation, she thought she'd be fine on her own, but her boyfriend's mum insisted she come live with them. She politely declined, thinking lockdown would only be a couple of weeks. However, she was eventually given no choice. Her boyfriend turned up at her door, told her to pack a bag, and the next thing she knew, Philippa was heading to what would be her new home for the next three months. So the next morning, my boyfriend picked me up, and um, when we were, so he lived just like a bit outside uh, Madrid Center, and there was nobody to the floor on Sunday, and there was no bar, nobody on the streets. There were actually already police cars uh, in main intersections and main like entrance spots in the city. Um, and then as soon as we got to his house, which was like around, I would say like 2 p.m., they were saying that Spain was going to be like in lockdown for um, an unlimited time period. Madrid had a very intense lockdown and you could only leave the house to go to the pharmacy or the supermarket. So for the first 90 days, Philippa didn't step outside. So she found new ways to keep active. At the end of the day, we 
normally every single day or almost every single day at like 7 p.m. We all exercised in the living room. When you say fun. all, who's all? Like the whole family, like uh, <laughs> the parents uh, and their three brothers. And so everyone just exercised in the living room. My boyfriend's father uh, <laughs> would lead the exercise and force us all to exercise. And he would just put like videos that he watches to exercise. Dr. <laughs> Mercola. Dr. Who? Mercola or Mercola or it's like this 85 year old man that just does like exercises then sometimes they would let me put some exercises or uh, but yeah it would be like what a 30 minute workout I, w- I would say even less <laughs> and I had packed my bags for like two weeks so I was not expecting to stay that long what how did you deal with the fact that you'd only packed your bags for two weeks and stayed there for three months so, I mean, when I got back home, like, I never wore those clothes again because <laughs> I got fed up of them. <laughs> For us students, lockdown beginning didn't necessarily mean having an unlimited vacation. Our classes went online, followed by our exams, since LSE was one of 42 universities to not provide students with a no detriment policy. For some, this provided a sense of structure and normalcy to the early days of lockdown, like Ellie and Alice. Lockdown was fine to begin with um, because we still had classes and then I had to revise for exams and then I had exams. So like there was always something to be doing. Um, And my parents were both still working, luckily. So like it wasn't like we were just all sat at home together all the time. There was still a nice structure to it. So they'd like still have to work and then like come home at like five or six at night so like my day still had a routine to it otherwise I think I probably would have lost it. I really saw it as an opportunity to study because I think I returned um, around the 15th of March or so Um, so really it felt like uh, exam season was prolonged by two weeks and that's the way I tried to to see the whole situation in a positive light. Or it might have provided a distraction from the crumbling world around them, like Adoma. I think I really threw myself into my virtual work in lockdown. I started lockdown with a brand new job, um, (laughs) which was a very interesting experience. And in addition to job I already had on campus and five classes I was taking with school. And so there was was sort of like a way to channel any anxiety I had into a very consistent and constant um, way for me to, you know, distract myself, essentially. However, working amidst the pandemic is not ideal. With so much time in our hands, we found ourselves enthralled in the sudden requirement to do something productive with it. This productivity, often defined by tangible and visible growth, was something a lot of us engaged with, or at least tried to. But this pressure was heavy and consuming, and often at odds with the lived realities so many of us faced. 
felt surreal, like there were two bodies. I'm pretty sure everyone would say the same thing too, but we all felt like there were two bodies. One was thinking that everything's as per normal. I still need to meet my classes at a certain time, submit this by this deadline. And then the other side is telling you that, no, you're living in a completely different universe. You know, this is unprecedented. You can't expect to live with that feeling of normalcy. I felt a lot of pressure to like get shit done and like reinvent myself over lockdown. I was like, oh my God, everyone's gonna come out of this like speaking three languages and really, really like athletically on it. Um, everyone's gonna be like a yoga master and I'm just gonna be not any of those things. <laughs> but then obviously like we came out of it kind of and everyone was kind of in the same boat. I don't know many people that would like powered through the lockdown like I think it was hard for a lot of people we'd have a couple of days where we'd all be super productive like we wake up at like seven o'clock in the morning work till seven o'clock in the evening and then all at different times each of us would just sort of have like a week of like uh I think it was like the depression weeks which is like it was just had no ability to do work at all either because I think we were like burnt out from like you know just from doing too much work or like all the shit that kept going on was just like too much to handle. And trying to work under those conditions was like, I'm sure as everyone knew, like completely far from ideal. So let me just remind you of our working environment during remind lockdown. Remind me, I'm literally haunted by this. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> We're never going to forget it. Um, so obviously our house didn't have any room for a table or a desk. So instead what we used was we had some folding chairs stashed away in some corner of the house. And then we would get out our blue ironing board and put it on the lowest level. And we'd use that as a desk. And we'd literally be studying. We studied like that for about a month like with our lap <laughs> with our laptops on top. And then be like 2 a.m. And I would like run in with like a tray of like fish fingers because that was all we had left in the freezer because we were too scared to go outside. And that so was I'd at a like, point where I was like growing out my beard. Yes. And you had like your glasses askew on your face, wearing your red Hugh Hefner dressing gown and being like, right, like I'm ready to fix poverty. And was I showering? You know you weren't showering. <laughs> Why are you asking me that question? Were you showering? you know the answer Why to that am I question outing myself like that um but yeah but i mean on a, on a more serious note it was just, it's just kind of insane that we were expected to work under these conditions i mean our conditions we were very lucky but just in general working under the stress um of a pandemic and of the lockdown and just the, the fact that a lot of people didn't have access to resources that they needed it's just really insane to me that there was this pressure to be productive on and, top of all of that and like the expectation that any free time that you have should be put towards bettering yourself or doing something that's conventionally productive as if we're not in the middle of like global collapse lockdown in a lot of cases meant returning home a return to our childhood bedrooms to family dinners to our youth a return to innocence Alice went back to Munich, Susan went back to Dagenham, and Charlotte went back to York. They tell us about how it was like to be back under the same roof with their parents and siblings again. I was very happy to, you know, enjoy my mum's food, spend time with the family. My sister is 16 now, uh, which meant that we connected on a different level this time around. The gap didn't feel as unbridgeable as other years. And I really appreciated that I could interact with them 
more than I usually can simply for geographical reasons. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the country. I'm just grateful for how like I could really just, you know, have all my family together and just have like good times with them. Like we, yeah, I'd say we bonded and it was definitely a different dynamic and it felt a little bit like Christmas because Christmas is the time where we're all at home. Like we're all at home for like at least five days when my parents take leave and like my siblings are off school. But at some point, like when maybe things were like easing off, so we had like a barbecue and it was just really nice. And I hadn't been to a barbecue like since the summer of the year before. But yeah, it was lovely. It just really good time. And um, again, really good bonding. I've got a big family, so there are a lot of people to talk to. And I have a dog, so there's lots of stuff to do, like taking her for walks and stuff. I don't know, I went on a lot of walks with my family. Um, I spent a lot of time with them, obviously. Um, that were just like kind of wholesome. There was like, we got so like hysterical at times that like me and my sisters would just be like absolutely hysterical, like rolling on the floor laughing about something that just wasn't funny. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of that. Um. For those who couldn't be at home physically, lockdown taught us the language of virtual life, and we found ourselves simulating family homes through computer screens and webcams. So it was my it was my mom's birthday during lockdown, the 24th of May. And obviously I was in London, so I wasn't with her. And our entire family was apart. So my mom and my dad were in Bolivia. One of my sisters was in Portugal in our family home. And then my other sister was in Madrid and I was here in London. So we were all apart. And it was my mom's 50th birthday. So my sister, the one who lives in Madrid, had the idea to make a birthday video where we kind of compile a bunch of birthday messages from all of her friends that she's met throughout her entire life from all of these different countries. And so for, I feel like this was like a three week project for like three weeks, we just reached out to like everyone we could remember that my mom had ever met. And we asked them to like send a really nice birthday message. And every, it was really just really sweet to see like everyone was really game for it. Mm. And everyone replied super quickly. And like they sent their videos and then they also sent like pictures with my mom that they still had. And it was just it was really beautiful just to see like during lockdown, knowing that everyone was sort of isolated at their homes. We were all apart that like people were willing to like come together really excitingly or excitedly. What's the word? Ex excited. Excitedly um, for like this one cause. We sent the video to my mom on her birthday. It was like a 50 minute video. And then we watched her watch it over FaceTime and we all just kind of like cried <laughs> together because it was just really emotional just to just to watch my mom watching it, but also just watching all of these people and all of their videos. Um, yeah, so that was really sweet. But being home isn't always as simple as a return to innocence. Men talks about how returning home may feel like returning to a place you no longer quite fit. You're told that when you grow up and 18 years old, you move out, you, you're essentially no longer a resident of your home. <laughs> like you are now off to university, you can like tell on Facebook, I've moved to London. And suddenly to be back in Singapore, having to live in that room that you grew up in, you just feel like a foreigner in, in that room. So yeah, it was just this, I'm only here for a few weeks and after that lockdown's going to clear in London, I'm going to go back for, for, for land term. 
and then you realize that it's going to get longer and longer and then actually start thinking that actually I am living here in my room again. So I felt like I was growing up again or more like I was being reintroduced into my family. Since lockdown began eight months ago, Mayan has been in Singapore and plans to return to London for Lent term. When we asked her how she felt about being at home for that long, she asked us if we'd ever heard of Koi's law. A koi fish, you know what that is? It's like, okay, it's a fish um, that apparently grows to the size of the pond that it's in. And I, it's this idea that you get comfortable very easily. Like once your mental state has adjusted to like the surrounding things, it's like, okay, you're safe, you can stop growing. And I feel like London for me is that massive sea out there, which I was year one and year two, I just put myself there, I was constantly growing. But ever since coming back here and being told that you're safe, you're safe, I feel like I've actually started to think that this is all there is. And I'm scared actually that if I stay here any longer, I will start to think that, okay, this is the end of growing. University was a past life, but university is supposed to challenge you. And I think I just want to go back for the six months so that I can remember how it is like to be independent again, to be in a very weird city with so many challenges and to just deal with it, you know. As lockdown went on, Eartha didn't seem to be recovering from her fall. I thought she might be dead, so I joined a bonsai Facebook group in the search of some guidance. I sent in several shameful pictures of her fragile and naked self, and eventually, a very kind woman advised I repot her in fresh soil and hope for a miracle. So that's what we did. Behind our courtyard, we found a large patch of grass that we never knew existed. We used this as our repotting site. We spent an entire morning decluttering her roots and repotting her. The woman on Facebook had told us not to get our hopes up, as it was likely Earth was already dead. But now, we just had to play the waiting game to see if anything changed. On our little adventure to this unexplored patch of grass, we connected with one of our neighbors, who had an adorable pit bull who was just a bit too interested in our dying plant. We had a quick conversation, nothing of particular interest was said, but that brief shared moment had been our first interaction with another human in quite a while. Looking back, many of us can remember these smaller unexpected interactions, these rare moments of random socialization, a reminder that while we were all alone, we were alone with others, coexisting creatures of some larger ecosystem. Remember Grace in her idyllic little island in the middle of the countryside? She lives on an estate with a lord and lady, and after weeks of isolation, she was suddenly reminded of their existence by an unlikely visitor, Judas. Um, one day they came, uh, they, their dogs don't have leads because they, they own everywhere, so they don't need to put their dogs on leads. But they came around and they came a bit too close to the house and their, one of their dogs, Judas, um, like started chasing my cat. And I was like, oh my God. And I could hear this barking like from the house. So it was really loud barking. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I ran outside like to where the barking was coming from and my cat was like up a tree and Judas was barking like crazy and the oh the the, the Lord's children were like oh Judas Judas please like come back Judas come back and I was just like can you please like get your dog because I'm worried you're gonna destroy my cat and one of the children was like oh but Judas doesn't like a lead and I was like oh my god like but I was just like I don't want your dog to kill my cat though <laughs> and I was like so shaken up I was like oh my god 
it was a weird, weird day, <laughs> a weird amount of excitement for a, for a sedate lockdown. Um. Dylan tells us about his ecosystem and the characters that were an integral part to his daily life in lockdown. Our house opens up onto like an estate in the back where there's like a bunch of flats and houses all sort of surrounding a car park. And then on the other side of the road, there's like a big block of flats as well. And some of them have balconies. And um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely some like brewing tension. Like I, there was a lot of arguing um, between neighbors also like within houses. Um, and just like, you know, you got the general sensation that people were kind of collectively losing their minds. Like there's a, we have a really eccentric like neighbor on the other side who like does these workouts, would do these workouts where it sounds like he's like, like having sex basically. And with like really trashy music playing. I remember one day he like had his shirt off, headphones on on the balcony and was like dancing to some music and just screamed like, I love life in like a really Northern accent. And, um, you know, like his neighbors, like, pe- like people in the block that I'm, I'm sure he probably didn't even know were coming in and he'd be like, there's my favorite neighbor. I haven't seen you in ages. How are you doing? And, she, and like the woman was kind of like, oh, I, I'm okay. Thank you. Like, I'm, I'm all right. Uh, I'm just, you know, just coming back in. And then, and then the next day he would like abuse some person that was driving their car really badly and like harass them from his balcony. It felt like rear window, like we you're just like peering into all of these little like boxes of people like collectively going insane. Dylan lived about a five minute walk away from us at the time. And although his house is much nicer, our experience with the neighbors in our ecosystem was equally chaotic. In the words of Dylan. Maybe it's just like Cali Road people just have like no tolerance for bullshit. I don't know. First, there was our downstairs neighbor, uh, an old man who was always watering his garden Mm -hmm. and he was always wearing wife beaters and his uh, doors to his house were always open so you could always hear like noises and the TV coming out. And then you had the woman who lived like across from him and she would kind of just come out every day roughly around the same time and like water her plants but like still from her door so she would like kind of just like throw her hose over and like kind of flip her hand back and forth (laughs) and just hope that the water would get to the plants eventually. And then the neighbor on top of her, so still in front of us, he, his bathroom faced us and his window had no like... Curtain or blind or anything. And so we would always see him butt-ass naked. He was just naked. And then we had the guy on the roof, like in the distance, who had like a rowing machine on his roof and he would just come out and like row for like literal hours every day. And then there were these girls to the right of us who were always just blasting music and not only blasting music, but they would blast the same song for four hours straight. And I swear that they had their speaker like outside the window. Like I was like, is there any music left for you inside the room? Like it's all on the street, it's all for us. And then the old man would then argue with the girls from his window downstairs. He would scream at them and be screaming like, what are you doing? Like turn the music off. And they'd tell him to go die and... They would tell him like, oh bruv, like you're an old man. Like the coronavirus is gonna kill you. You're gonna die soon, bruv. You're gonna die soon, bruv. And I remember like we would just kind of be watching over like peering our head out, looking down to the left. I think one of them was crying. Actually. I think it might have been tears. 
And then we had um, this cat that would always kind of walk around and loiter the courtyard. And she was beautiful, like long haired Maine Coon type cat. I saw her one time and she was so skinny and my heart just broke. I literally went and bought some cat food and every day I would go down and start feeding her like at a certain time. And like she would like then come back and like wait for me. Um, she would come and I would feed her right next to the old man's um, house. And because he always had his doors open um, but, um, and he would be playing the news. Um, and I remember like for those 20 minutes every day when I would go down, go outside and feed the cat, I would just stand and like listen to like what the news was saying. Just reports of like how many coronavirus cases there were and how things were spreading. And I was just stood there, me alone in this courtyard, like feeding the cat and hearing like the end of the world. To begin with, like the UK government were doing like a daily briefing at like 5 p.m. or 5.30 or something like that. And my parents and I would always watch it because like we felt like we had to be tuned into it. And every single day it was just like more and more deaths. Um, but I, yeah, there was like a constant state of anxiety, I would say, for the first month. And then it just kind of eased. But these little worlds often weren't enough to sustain us. We longed for the outside, for fresh air, for a tethered connection to anything beyond ourselves. So within the legal lockdown restrictions, we found ways to leave our little bubbles. And these little moments of escapism ended up being defining memories of our lockdown. Yeah, I met my girlfriend just before lockdown had happened. So, you know, we maybe go for walks and stuff, like, you know, restricted and all that stuff. Just go to the park, meet out in the park and stuff like that. I went outside the house and I went for a walk. And then I do my, like, afternoon stroll. I went for lots of evening walks. I think everyone did, yeah. Walking became a form of refuge. Alia describes how it kept her sane. So I would go on walks a lot, like, on my own. Like, I would just walk for, like, a really long time. Um, or I would go jogging um, a lot. Because, um, like, in, I would just walk literally just, like, one straight road from my house. Maybe buy, like, chocolate on the way and then walk all the way back. It's spending more time on my own. But when I feel like when you're outside, you're on your own, but you're not. You're, like, surrounded by, I guess, the air, the, the lack of nature that you could have in London, like, you know, the grass and stuff like that. Charlotte remembers discovering what seemed like whole new worlds. We did a lot of like exploring and going to places that we had never been to before. Like we went, we basically ended up walking like around quite a lot of like North Yorkshire. Um, yeah, there was this one day where like me, my dad and my sister went to this place called Malham Cove. Um, we just like took a walk through through this like forest place and it was just so cool it felt like i'd stepped into like narnia or something like it was like this little forest um that had like wild garlic in them so you got in and it like smelled like you're inside a frying pan but like it looks so pretty i can't i can't even explain it there was just like these little like white flowers everywhere because it was like little garlic thingies and like yeah it stank but it was <laughs> it was just really really nice and yeah there was just a lot of moments like that um for Isabella, her refuge wasn't necessarily walking out into the world, but up to the top of her building. I would I would have just gone to the shop to get a twister, an ice lolly, and then we would go to the second floor, get the lift, walk around to the terrace and see who's there. This would be around 12. And it's just big green, it's just this big green astroturf and benches. Um, and there would be the personal trainer doing his workout. 
there would be me and my flatmate just sunbathing with ice lollies and then in the evening people would get back from work so people who were already who were still working and we would have maybe a barbecue which that happened quite often and then the sun would be shining and it was it was quite nice and every time we saw a plane fly over from Heathrow we'd be like god I wonder where that's going I spent a lot of my nights during lockdown just kind of staring out the window, looking at the moon. Mm, through that all-seeing eye window that we yeah, had. Yeah, it was kind of our screen to the outside world. Mm. And at night, it would just kind of show me the moon. And I went through this period where I would often just stare at it until I fell asleep. And maybe it was because Elon Musk had just sent humans onto, into the space for the first time in like nine years. Or that pink supermoon we had, I think it was like back in April. Yeah, I think so. But I found myself feeling really emotional staring at that night sky. And the thing is, at any other period of my life, staring at the moon would have just resulted in a bunch of existentialist thoughts. But this time, it was kind of the opposite. It was in those moments, I don't know, I just kind of felt at ease and at peace. And I know this sounds so cheesy, but it really just kind of felt like the moon was staring right back at me. And I just kind of really cherished those moments. That's so nice. Um, but yeah, so what did you have to stare at on your side of the house? Um, probably the prison. <laughs> <laughs> Mayen, like me, also found herself looking out the window. Eight hours ahead, all the way in Singapore, she tells us of her thoughts as she looked out onto the world which I now realize was probably at the exact same time I did. I remember looking out the window a lot and I was, I remember specifically every time I look out the window I always have this thought like hey you might not look out the window um, at this point of your life at this very hour of this very minute so treasure it. So I've all these like little moments of me looking out the window and thinking these thoughts. A barbecue in the garden, an island in the countryside, a suitcase with two weeks' worth of clothes, a playlist that sounds like sunlight, a neighbourhood rear window, a forest like the middle of a frying pan. If 2020 forced us to live in a moment, then these may just be the moments where you'll find us. 53 days after repotting her, Eartha regrew her first leaf back. While we were convinced she died, when we were falling in and out of the different phases of our lockdown, she'd been waiting, growing, taking in all the sun that spilled in from that big window and turning it into something that we worried we'd never see again. Currently, she's alive and thriving, on a different south-facing window in our new flat, now with a countless array of leaves that we take pride in knowing were all grown by us. In our retelling of 2020, it becomes clear that lockdown, in a lot of ways, felt a lot less like a mystery. At times, it felt much more like a sitcom, only without the laughing track, yet the joke still always somehow ended up on all of us. At other times, it felt like a horror, with terrifying news that reared its ghastly head, only to be devoured and replaced by even scarier news. Sometimes, it was nothing more than a tragedy, a series of sorrowful events to accompany what felt like the end of the world. You know, it was scary, but we all just kind of 
drank and watched Mad Men every night in Tiger King. Um, but yeah, on the whole, it was good until it got really bad. Um, basically, as soon as exams ended, everything stopped uh, with the Black Lives Matter uh, movements. But more on that next week. Thanks for listening. We Know the End is presented, produced, and edited by us and brought to you by Beaver Sound. Intro music by Vagar Dreyer and outro music by Brooklyn Han. Logo designed by Ellie Reeves. Music contributions from Free Music Archive, featuring Blue Dot Sessions and Roman Stollier and Ilya Belarukov, licensed under Creative Commons. A special thanks to Adoma Ado, Alice Norga, Alia Mormon, Charlotte Lynch, Dylan Stevens, Ellie Reeves, Felipe Campos Ferreira, Grace Chapman, Isabella Abbott, Lucy Knight, Mayen Chow, Shemi Lore Alujami, Susan Odele, and Toby Abraham Silas for sharing their lovely stories. <laughs>